Yellich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich, he has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! Get out of here and go! Ryan Braun, he just hit a walk-off Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for not them diehard Brewer fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plus, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansided and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. You can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. As always, I'm joined with good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is a host of our Packers Trilogy podcast. But as always, we're here to talk the Brewers today. And I was telling them this is quite the contrast in styles we have to talk about today. For the Packers Trilogy podcast, it's all great. And for the Brewers, it is the exact opposite. So before we get into it, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well. You know, you mentioned it with the Packers playing extremely well, and that makes it hard for me to have a bad weekend, but the Brewers tried to make it that way. They really did try to make it a bad weekend. Very frustrating on, on Saturday and then Sunday, just just a terrible outing for the Brewers. So they tried to make this a bad weekend, but with the Packers winning, I'm a pretty happy man at this point. That's fair. It is good to have football back, and I had quite a few Oktoberfests in my system to kind of dull the pain that the Brewers gave me this weekend. It was, oh man. Like you said, the Brewers lose two out of three here, and if they would have took that middle game, the series would not have felt as bad despite what happened on Sunday. So let's get into this quick little recap here. On Friday night, the Brewers won 1-0. to zero. They used the exact same lineup that they did against the Tigers when they scored 19 runs, except this time they only get one. And it was a great pitcher's duel between Brandon Woodruff and John Lester. Woodruff matched his career high in strikeouts with 12 and went seven strong innings. His fastball is incredible. He got eight strikeouts out of the 12 coming on that pitch, and a lot of them, as the game progressed, came on that outside corner, which the umpire was calling all night. So Woodruff really took advantage of that. He also mixed in a slider quite well. And then, of course, the Brewers get a very dramatic walk-off RBI sack fly from Ryan Braun against former teammate Jeremy Jeffress to get the win in the ninth. Game two, Brett Anderson was scratched from the start, so the Brewers went with Johnny Holstaff. Brett Suter ended up pitching the first three innings and striking out six. The Brewers would then strike first, getting a two-run home run from Ryan Braun in the fourth inning. And then later in the game, the Brewers used Devin Williams in the eighth and then Hader in the ninth to attempt to get the save. But it was just not a good day for Hader as he gives up four earned runs in the ninth, including a three-run homer off Jason Hayward and then another solo homer off Vargas. In the ninth, bottom of the ninth, the Brewers would put guys on but fall up short as Kimbrell got the save for the Cubs. Game three, wow, 12-0 to loss. 
the Brewers get no hit by Alec Mills, who allows three walks and strikes out five Brewers. For the Brewers, really, from a pitching standpoint, they imploded in the fourth inning. Adrian Hauser was on the mound and gave up five runs in that fourth inning. But it was no thanks to two errors by Brewers defense in the inning, for as Hauser only got tagged with two earned runs on the day. Brewers defense commits three errors in total, like I said, two in that fourth inning. And really just kind of backs up my point on the last podcast that Adrian Hauser just can't catch a break. He seems to get all the bad luck here for the Brewers. The only positive that I could find in this game, which again, the Brewers were no hit in, was that Corey Knebel's velocity was hanging out around 95-96 when he was in the game, but he did give up an earned run in his outing. So what do you want to add to this series here, Trevor? <laughs> it, it just the same things keep happening every single series in this 2020 season for the Brewers. It just, you know, you get some good things going, you know, you win a tight game, then you're up to nothing going into the ninth with top two, three pitcher in your organization and just nothing, you know, he gives up four runs, you lose the game, just really frustrating and then go out and just don't show up the next day and no hitter against you and and just show no life both at the plate and really defensively on the mound like there is just no bright spots for that third game so overall another pretty disappointing series you know we talked about it before we started recording that you know hater makes the save in game two this feels a lot different even if game three goes exactly the same you know you get no hit you lose 12 nothing this series feels a lot different if you win two nothing in game two like was you know what you were planning on what what you were expecting going into the ninth inning that that's definitely something to monitor and see what what haters able to do moving forward because he has had a few kind of blow up outings here in the past week or so so that's definitely something to monitor yeah and this time it was the home run ball that caught up with him in his previous start where he imploded it was what the five walks he had in that one game and this time it, he gave up two home runs and man i just feel so bad for the guy like to get a couple of runners on before jason hayward he had to face anthony rizzo threw him three straight sliders he was up on the in the count oh two and the third slider was outside and out of the zone from anthony rizzo and he just poked it into left for a base hit i was like you've just got to be kidding me and then sure enough i think it was the next batter later jason hayward Josh Hader throws a fastball, except it's low and inside rather than a little bit higher, and he just golfs it way out of the park. And then that that pitch against Vargas was a full count. Just He just couldn't put him away, and he left a fastball right down the middle. So maybe he started to get a little fatigued there and worn out as he was getting hit around in the ninth inning. But like you said, man, that... That middle game really just turned this whole series around for the Cubs. And it's unfortunate for the Brewers because at the end of the season, you could look back on that game and be like, man, if they just would have won that Cubs game, they would have been in the playoffs or, you know, something like that. But of course, we have all these Cardinals games to to play first. So time will tell what happens there. Really, like you said, the series was like 
it was one step forward, two steps back, and more of the same for the Brewers and what we've seen all season. And another part of that was inconsistent offense, <laughs> right? You go from scoring 19 runs against the Tigers to scoring one on Friday night, then two on Saturday night, and then zero on Sunday. So I'm just kind of curious here, Trevor, if you look ahead beyond this series and into 2021, what do you think's going to carry over from this Brewers offense? I mean, we have Dan Vogelbach, who is slapping hits to the opposite field, left and right. Well, more left, I guess, not really right, which is completely against his trend. Um, you have Luis Urias, who I think is performing a little bit above where he is right now. I Are these some positives you think will carry over, or is it going to be all more so negatives if they would keep a similar lineup? I would expect better in 2021, Um, not necessarily from Vogelbach or Luis Urias. Like, I wouldn't necessarily expect those guys to perform better next year. But I think overall, as a lineup, I would expect this team to perform better. Keston Hero and Christian Yelich are a number one and number two there that need to perform better to get this offense going. Um, I think you bring Braun back next year if you can get him on a good money deal if he wants to return. I think he could be an option if he's able to get in the lineup a little bit more consistently. I expect this offense to be better next year, but I don't really think Vogelbach and Urias are going to be, maybe they're going to be mainstays, but I don't think as and you should expect them to be performing and doing what they're doing this year. It's a weird year. We're seeing a lot of, a lot of our players struggle. You know, I mentioned Keston and Yelich. But then you you go down the lineup, you know, Avi Garcia, Omar Narvaez. There's there's a ton of guys that are just not playing like or hitting like we expected them to. Um, we expected more out of those players. Even recently released Justin Smoke. Like a lot of those players, we were expecting a lot out of, and we got none of it. Um, so hopefully, you know, 2020 gets out of here as soon as possible. And that just brings back the old Christian Yelich and, and all those types of things. So I do think 2021 will be better. I think we'll be more consistent, but I don't necessarily expect, you know, those two players you mentioned in Vogelbach and Urias to kind of lead the charge in that way. I expect the, the face of the franchise guys to step up more. And then those, more middle-tier guys that we expected quite a bit from in Narvaez, Avi Garcia. I expect to see more from them moving forward as well. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And Vogelbach, Urias, we got these guys under club control for quite a few more years. And yeah, like I don't think Vogelbach will be a mainstay in the offense. I think a lot of if and when we see him next year will depend on if the DH is here to stay or not. And Urias should have a spot somewhere in the infield, given how versatile he is. And he's proven to be quite valuable offensively and defensively this year so far. One guy that has been brought to my attention who might go a little bit under the radar is Jacob Nottingham. There's a lot of catching stats out there in games where he's calling and the pitching staff's ERA is incredibly low. Granted, it's in low sample sizes, and for some reason I can't seem to find those Twitter stats out there anymore. Um, but I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on him, especially as you look forward to next year. I know in a recent interview with Corbin Burns, he mentioned that him and Nottingham go back all the way to double AA, A, triple A, and he really just knows how 
Corbin Burns likes to pitch and how to get him back on track. And it kind of seems like he might have a niche into the initial opening day roster start next year. Or am I just going a little bit crazy with that? Um, Maybe a little bit, but that's pretty typical for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, seriously, I think... I, I do think there is something to be said about that. You have this ascending guy that the, you've seen the, the peaks and the valleys. The peaks have been extremely high. The valleys have been extremely low. And if it's as simple as he needs his own catcher, and I know Craig Council doesn't necessarily love to do that, to just throw one catcher out there for one day or for for only one pitcher every five days or whatever it is, I think it makes a lot of sense in because Obviously, Corbin Burns has been really good this year, and I know what stats you're talking about. I do not, I can't find him right this second either. But he is significantly better with Nottingham behind the plate than Omar Nervais. He's still good. He has been good all year, and he still is good with Omar Nervais, but behind the plate. But it's not as dominant. He's been a lot more dominant with Nottingham back there, and I think that might get him an opening day roster. And he he's playing well. Like, behind the plate, I don't think he's a liability. I haven't seen any big concerns there. Offensively, he's got pop. I feel like you could do a lot worse. And if it's going to keep Corbin Burns at the level he's playing, it is 100% worth a roster spot. I agree. And if he can hit against lefties, especially if the Brewers stick with Narvaez in 2021, he can kind of be used in a platoon spot, which kind of adds, you know, to rather than just being Corbin Burns's personal catcher um, that would certainly help him in terms of playing time and I've really been impressed with his pitch framing this year I mean obviously you know Omar Narvaez is not the greatest at that he's working hard at it obviously but you can see Jacob Nottingham is well above where Narvaez is at this point in their careers so with Manny Pena being maybe a little bit more expensive the Brewers could look to save a little bit more money sticking with Jacob Nottingham especially given how you said he, he can provide a little bit of a spark when needed offensively, obviously not every day, but putting him out there in the lineup, you're not just expecting a goose egg on offensively like, you know, when Eric Kratz was a brewer. So sorry, Eric Kratz, don't mean to stab at him there, but that, that's really what it was with him. Looking back to Friday start, we got to see a Brandon Woodruff who was completely dominant. He looked like an ace. As I said, he had 12 strikeouts, tying a career high. Are you buying that this was Woody's bounce-back performance and he's just going to dominate for the last two weeks of the season here, or or is it going to be more of a roller coaster with him coming up here? I think definitely there's a possibility for either. But I, I think the way he pitched and how good he looked, and you know, you mentioned kind of he was getting the outside corner or off the outside corner maybe called a little bit more, and he was using that to his advantage and hitting that spot. It's one thing to know that the umpire is calling that in that particular game, but it's another thing to be able to hit that. And, you know, just the way he did it makes me think that I think we're going to get Brandon Woodruff back for another two, three starts, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, you pair that with Burns, hopefully that gives you two wins every five days and it's not actually it's going to be every five games because the Cardinals are coming up and we got double headers on double headers here uh coming up shortly but I do think if you can 
pretty much count in like you get three runs when Woody and Burns are up there and you can trust that you're going to be in right in the game or win the game. I think that's going to be huge. And I think that's what we're going to see out of Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns the rest of the year. And it's going to be, can the offense come alive and can we get a few more solid pitching performances out of the rest of the starting rotation to make that late playoff push? Because I, I do think a lot of this is going to be put on the pitchers because we've seen it the entire year. I don't think it's changing. I don't, I think we would be insane to think that it is going to change this year, that it's just magically going to flip. They're going to flip the switch. You know, we're in the middle of September now, September magic. You, you would think if it was going to start, it would have started towards the beginning of the month. We're halfway through almost at this point. So I don't expect the offense to change. So I think the pitching staff has to be great. And that starts with Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Devin Williams, and and we can't have those outings from Josh Hader. We just can't. Those four players, if they're pitching well, that's going to give you two wins in a series. If Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns start in the same series, that should give you two wins if all of those four pitchers are pitching well. You need some other pitchers to step up because, like I said, I do not trust the offense to do that right now. I'm really glad you mentioned Woodruff and Burns getting you two wins because if the Brewers can manage to sneak into the playoffs, there is no one-game wild card this year, I don't think. It's all, it's a best of three to begin. So if the Brewers don't have to just absolutely kill Woodruff and Burns to get into the playoffs and you have them pitching game one and game two, you're going to feel really good about the Brewers' chances entering that series, of course. <laughs> if the Brewers can enter like that at the right time or even make it into the playoffs is to be determined yet. But I certainly would not want to face these two guys back-to-back. I think that duo of players would go right up there with some of the best uh, one-two punches in the NL this year. And and like we said, getting in the playoffs, you just got to give yourself a chance because... Like all those pitchers, we got some very elite pitchers this year who are in contentions for some award winners, award winnings, and you just got to give them a chance to shine on the biggest stage at this point. And run support, as you were talking about, is going to be a very big part of that and is something the Brewers still cannot continue to do on a consistent basis. Let's switch over here to our series MVP. And series dud. You like the MVPs first. Who do you got? I I am going to do something here that I am just pulling up our tracker here and making sure that it hasn't happened, and I do not see it on our list. So I am going to give his first C- series MVP of the 2020 season to Mr. Ryan Braun. I think... He definitely deserves it. I definitely think Woody probably deserves it as well. But in the first two games, Ryan Braun was the offense. He gets that really nice, deep RBI sack fly to walk it off in game one. He gets the two-run home run in the fourth. And that was that's the offense for the whole series, actually. <laughs> not just the... Not just the first two games. He literally scored all of their runs or had, had RBIs for all of their runs, drove in all of them. So that... I think deserves the credit because he he won game one and no disrespect to Brandon Woodruff. He definitely was a huge part in that. Devin Williams, Josh Hader in that game as well. Josh Hader get, ended up getting the win in that game because he pitched the ninth. 
and did well. I think that might be part of the reason why we saw him struggle in game two. Josh Hader is just better on rest. Before it used to be, you know, three day or three games in a row is when we'd really see him struggle. That third game when they use him, he'd almost always blow the save or whatever opportunity he was in, he would struggle. This year, just like starting pitchers that, you know, started the year off, they weren't able they were only going four or five innings at best. Josh Hader just might not be back up to that point of being able to throw two games in a row like he used to be able to do. That just might not be something that he's capable of this year, and that might be why he got hit around in that second game. But I do think Ryan Braun 100% deserves this MVP, and I'm really, really happy to see him be that that clutch player again. And it it is just great to see kind of vintage Ryan Braun. Well, I don't know how many times it's happened this year, but I'm going to agree with you in terms of series MVP. I'm going Ryan Braun, and I really have nothing to add to your reasoning because, like you said, he was the offense. He drove in all three runs the entire series. <laughs> he was the offense for the last game, but, yeah, let's not talk about that. He didn't even play the last game, so that was a really bad joke. <laughs> I You mentioned yep. Brandon Woodruff. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> No, I was just agreeing with your assessment of the bad joke. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will agree with Brandon Woodruff for honorable mention as well. I'm going to add in Avi Garcia as an honorable mention. He really had a good series overall, 4-10, drew one walk and a stolen base. In game one, which was that one to nothing win, he was two for three with a walk. So he was on base three times in a one to nothing game. He really has played incredible defense this series as well. A lot of catches running back over his shoulder, near the wall, um, really looking a lot more comfortable in center field than I ever would have expected. And I know he missed some time recently with that rolled ankle, but him out there healthy, I feel pretty decent about him in center now, in particular with running down fly balls, because I know he's got a great throwing arm, but... To start the year, I was a little worried, and he really showed me this series that he can be pretty good defensively. I think we got a little bit spoiled the past you know, year or so with Lorenzo Cain because like anyone in center field doesn't look as smooth and as good. Um, roaming center field at Miller Park, just no one does it quite as good as Lorenzo Cain. I, so I do think that part of it is like hard for me. Like It, it looks like Avi Garcia struggles a little bit, and... You know, it's not his true position, like it's not his natural position, so you kind of get it, but sometimes it just looks like he is struggling a little bit. Like he makes plays, but it looks like it's very hard for him. Um, But it is good to see, you know, that defense picking up a little bit here. The offense definitely picked up in the series for him too. You know, that definitely deserved to be in the honorable mention. I just think with with Braun and Woodruff's performance, I think – he probably wasn't going to get it because those guys were were really, really good. So moving to Dud, I want to do my honorable mention first because I really was going to pick him. But the guy I actually pick, it's just more impactful, his bad performance. So my honorable mention is Christian Yelich. Tyler has written down here he's 0 for 10. Dud did have a walk, but six strikeouts. Just brutal. Truly brutal. When when the Brewers need offense, they need a couple extra runs, you know, specifically in that second game. To have nothing from your former MVP is is rough. And not even getting 
remotely productive outs with six strikeouts. That's that's a tough, tough performance. So he's my honorable mention. But, you know, from your two-time reliever of the year, you blow the save. And what we've already talked about is a pretty pivotal game. Like, I know one game doesn't seem like that much in a baseball season, but in this season, in the stretch that the Brewers are going into, you know, you win that game. Like I said, my thought on the series is completely different. Even if they still get no hit and lose 12 nothing in Game 3, that wouldn't have mattered to me. If they won the first two, I literally wouldn't have cared that they got no hit in the third game. But the combination of that blown save and then just getting routed in Game 3 is tough. And we need we need more from Josh Hader. We need more from our two-time reliever of the year. He He just needs to be better and... Like I said before, I think part of that could be, you know, we shouldn't be putting him out there on back-to-back days, but also he just needs to he he needs to perform when he's out there, and that's why I put him as my series dud. I completely get that, especially with how pivotal that second game was, and it's like the weird part with Hater is like, of course he's really bad when he doesn't get in as often on long days of rest. Oh, he's really bad when he pitches so often. It's like. <laughs> Uh, there's so like we're so critical of Josh Hader because we expect greatness from him and most of the time he is and of course when he blows up it happens to be in a game against the Cubs in which the Brewers desperately need so it stings even more when this happens so I completely get your frustration there with Josh Hader my series dud I'm gonna go with your honorable mention and Christian Yelich because you already mentioned his stats Struck out 60% of the time this series against the Cubs, man. Like, Christian Yelich obviously has not looked himself all year, but he just looked helpless out there. I mean, he was swinging at pitches low in the zone. There was times where he would work the count, and you'd think, all right, he's going to get a walk, and then he'd just take one on the corner for a called strike three. And uh, it it's He's kind of the same as the Brewers in terms of he takes a step forward and then like three or four back. He just can't get it going. His batting average is down to just above 200 now on the year. He has one more hit than he has drawn walks this entire series. He has 30 hits, 29 walks. Like I like that he's getting on base, and he had this uh, streak snapped this series where he was getting on base, what, 29 games in a row was what the streak was? But when you're not getting hits and driving in runs like we expect, it's brutal to this offense, as you already alluded to. Yeah, and one thing that I was looking here, I tried to count him up. I am pretty sure that we have Christian Yelich as the most duds this year in the 2020 season. Out. So you and I both had him twice. I had him the first two series of the year. Um, you had him against the Reds. And that was, I believe, the eighth or ninth series of the year. And then you just had him against the Cubs. And then Jack Stern put him against the Indians as the series dud. So that's five. Um, The most I'm seeing from another player, Nervias, has three. I think Justin Smoke had two. And that, oh, Justin Smoke had three. So, yeah, three is the most I've seen outside of Christian Yelich, who has five series duds. Just just a rough, rough season for him. And you just, at this point, you really have to hope it's 2020, because if this continues in the next year, that's going to bring a whole other uprising that I am not ready to deal with or even think about at this point. 
Yeah, definitely not. Hopefully, we do. Christian Yelich, it's just all mental at this point. Yes, it. That's what it is, Tyler. We're not. We're not allowing it to be anything else because 2021, he's going to be like, wow, 2020 sucked, but I'm about to wreck the baseball world in 2021. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Speaking of wrecking things, the Brewers better wreck the Cardinals coming up here in this next series. We have the Cardinals for five games. So we have a doubleheader on Monday and then a doubleheader on Wednesday. Both of those on Monday and Wednesday, the games start at 410 with the second game afterwards. And a reminder, those will be seven inning games each. Tuesday is on ESPN. That is just one single game. The Cardinals in September have seven double headers. <laughs> they played three of them before uh, this Monday here now, and then they have three versus the Brewers and one versus the Pirates maybe, or is somebody else. I don't know. Either way, you try and think of like the implications of double headers on the Brewers pitching staff. Well, gosh, try and think of it on the Cardinals pitching staff. So you really have to hope that these doubleheaders can actually play to the Brewers' favor. But I guess we really don't know. I haven't really looked ahead to who the starting pitchers are for the series. I know we'll see Corbin Burns at some point. We might see Brett Anderson if he's recovered from this hip tightness thing or whatever. We might see another Johnny Holstaff day. I'm not entirely sure. I'm sure it doesn't matter because it'll probably change anyway, depending how games go. But what are you looking for in this Cardinals series? Um... <laughs> I, I guess the big thing is, is who are we going to get to start and are they going to do enough? Because I mentioned it earlier, it's going to come down to the pitching staff. You know, the pitching staff has had bad days. You know, you look at Sunday's game, the 12 nothing loss. You know, they, they've had bad days, but overall, I think they've been more consistent than the offense. So you need that pitching staff to step up. And you mentioned it, you know, double headers are going to be tough on a pitching staff but this pitching staff has to step up there's no two ways around it they have to step up because i don't trust the offense to step up so the pitching staff steps up you know you get you're not going to see obviously brandon uh you're gonna you might see brandon woodruff maybe and on wednesday's doubleheader possibly yeah these doubleheaders really throw me off with pitching but you know you see corbin burns you see brandon woodruff but i think you you want to at least win three at the very least but four would be ideal i think in this matchup to really start getting some ground made back up on this central division because you know losing two to the cubs i think makes it pretty hard you know you're down six as of right now to the cubs you're still only three and a half back of the cardinals and that's the important one we do not have to win the division at this point we just got to get back to that second place so winning three of five at the very least, and hopefully four or five, that's going to make big strides. You know, if if the Brewers lose or only win two of them and lose the series, mm, I think that's going to be pretty, pretty tough for the Brewers to come back after that. Even, even though they do have five games later in the year, I do think you have to, have to, have to win this series. Like I said, at the very least, three games, but you'd like to see more than that. And I am just looking for the pitching staff to step up. The starting rotation, the bullpen needs to be on point in the next five games, which will be three days. So we just need a lot of people stepping up in in that pitching staff. Yeah, if the Brewers lose this series, 
it's at that last series of the year against the Cardinals, which is again five games. They likely probably have to win out, and that's like the worst scenario ever. <laughs> you you can't bet any odds on that happening at all because baseball. But then again, you know it could happen. But I'm I'm not I'm not even that much of an optimistic Brewer fan that the Brewers could pull something out like that. I agree with your assessment on the pitching staff, and really the Cardinals' offense is not the greatest. They hit for a decent average, but they do not slug the ball well, nor do they draw a ton of walks. I mean, they got a couple guys hitting well. Paul Goldschmidt's hitting over 300 on the year, but power numbers are down throughout the entire board. Nobody's really hitting gap to gap. So they're really hopefully just going to have to string hits together to beat the Brewers, and with this recent performance that the pitching staff was doing, you have to go. You have to hope they come back to life here, where they what through 19 innings scoreless in a row <laughs> or something like that. Um, that would be great against this Cardinals team because their offense is not the best. So the Brewers should hopefully be set up for success here, and the depth of their bullpen is going to play a very important role in what happens in this upcoming five-game series. With that, I think we are going to wrap things up here for today. We'll be back later in the week to recap the Cardinals series. Hopefully it is in the Brewers' favor. Make sure you're checking out the Packers Trilogy podcast, recapping a very great game or week one victory, and then we'll be previewing the Lions upcoming for the weekend after that. So check that out on your preferred listening platform. But until the next Brewers Trilogy podcast, we will talk to you later, Brewer fans. Trust in Burns. <laughs>